All right, so today we'll finish the book of 2 Timothy. Um, so I want to provide just kind of a brief review and a summary of this letter. Uh, we are really trying at Local Church Fellowship to have a learning ministry that helps us remember and apply what we're learning in Scripture. And so we've had some shorter teachings because sometimes less information is better. We've had some reflective discussions following the teachings to help us kind of lock it in and talk about our application together. And we've had follow-up discussions at our uh, fellowship meals on Sundays and through Realm um, and other avenues that we discuss the text uh, in follow-up to what we're learning. So I hope that it's been kind of helpful. We definitely don't want to waste our time. And uh, we will absolutely always be committed to being devoted to um, the scriptures. We have to be as a church. Um, but how we learn scripture is flexible. So um, if you have ideas, feel free to pitch those out to Javon and I. Uh, we'd love to know your thoughts if there's a way that we can improve to help us actually learn and understand and apply the text better. The majority of the study that I did for this final week in 2 Timothy has actually been from our own teaching here at LCF. Um, I watched all 11 videos from the past few months. I listened to them on double speed because it was review. Um, but I'll tell you what, if you want a great class on 2 Timothy, it's now available online uh, through our church. Uh, it's on localchurchfellowship.com. It's on Spotify. Uh, uh, Apple Music, YouTube, all of that. And I can honestly say that to the best of our ability, we have really carefully taught the healthy doctrine, the words of Paul and, and thereby the words of God. So I would highly, highly recommend our teaching series. I'd put it up with against others um, or alongside of others for those who would want to learn the book or the letter of 2 Timothy. So today, again, I just want to review what we've covered, and this will be just another attempt to kind of help us remember what we've learned and to um, afterwards we'll reflect on it and um, after I review the text here now. So there's two themes that I want us to look for as I kind of run through this. First of all, in the foreground, kind of the main thing that's going on in the letter is that we see Paul charging Timothy to keep the faith. That's going to be a key phrase here today. Um, some parallels for the faith, he calls it in other places in the letter, the gospel, the word, the scriptures, the good deposit. I think those are all somewhat synonymous. To keep that faith means to, to preach it, to teach it, to live it, to keep it, um, to protect it, and uh, certainly to pass it on or to keep it going. In the background, so that, so that was in the foreground, the main thing going on, but in the background, and secondly, what we can look out for is that Paul is, is commenting on how, I would say, God is keeping the faith. He is assuring that it will be guarded and passed on and that it will accomplish its purposes. So Paul's saying, Timothy, you have a job to do, and while you're doing it, know that God is the one who's doing it. So keep the faith, Timothy, God is, if that makes any sense. Let's run through um, together the book. Um, back in March, we started, I shared an introduction on um, how uh, this relationship with Paul and Timothy was. Timothy was like Paul's spiritual son. Uh, Paul was writing this letter to him. At the time, Timothy was in Ephesus, we believe. 
And there was really a father-son relationship between them. Uh, Timothy, Paul called a child in the Lord, my beloved child. Timothy, I had pointed out, would first have met Paul probably in Lystra, where Paul was kind of this legendary figure. Paul had at one point marched into town, uh, healed a lame man from birth, and they thought he and Barnabas were gods. They called Paul Hermes. Uh, later, because of some controversy, Paul was stoned, probably, they thought, to death, um, sent out of the city, but then marched back in, I believe, the next day and began preaching the same message. That's in Acts 14. So Timothy would have been really impressed with who this Paul guy was. And later, Paul invited Timothy to go with him on his second, I believe, missionary journey. Um, and we see that begin in Acts 16. So in time then, Paul trusted Timothy. He even trusted him enough to send him into other cities. Um, he sent him to Thessalonica, to Corinth, we think to Philippi at one point, and now, as we read here, to Ephesus, sent to kind of set some things in order in the church. Paul kind of sent him on, on his behalf. So Timothy had really become a, a trusted co-worker in the gospel. He's, he's the co-author of several of the epistles of the New Testament, and he, like I said, was a son to Paul. We think the letter was written around 67 AD, just a couple years after um, Christianity was made illegal in Rome um, because Rome was nearly burned to the ground uh, in the time of Emperor Nero, and Nero blamed the Christians for it. So there was a growing amount of persecution of the churches. And um, these are, we believe, the last recorded words of the Apostle Paul before he was executed in 67 AD. The first section that we looked at, chapter 1, verses 1 through 7, we saw in verse 1 that Paul was an apostle for the sake of the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Here we start to see a hint that Paul considered his entire life, really, as a mission to proclaim the gospel or to, to keep the faith. I introduced at that point the, the idea of, of Paul passing the baton of faith. And we saw that in at least three different ways here in this opening passage. Um, we saw that Paul's ancestors had passed the faith to him, that the Jewish faith, that is, to him. Uh, Timothy's grandmother, Lois, and his mother, Eunice, apparently had passed some baton of the faith to Timothy. And now here in this letter, Paul was passing the faith and had been passing the faith, the baton to his spiritual son. Um, Paul also mentions in this section, how Timothy was then being commissioned to pass on the faith himself through the preaching and evangelism. And uh, that, that commission was given to him by the laying on of hands of Paul and the Ephesian elders, um, much like the way that Moses laid his hand on Joshua to take over the, the leadership of the people of Israel in the book of Numbers. So Paul is beginning, even in the opening section, to describe the movement of the faith from one generation to the next. And in essence is saying, and will continue to say, Timothy, don't drop the baton. In the next section, verses 8 through 18, Javon shared uh, where, where Paul goes on to tell Timothy, don't be ashamed of the faith. And Javon shared that from a worldly perspective, the cross was shameful, being a prisoner like Paul was, was shameful. Sharing and suffering and facing persecution, that could be seen as shameful. Um, but these 
things, they really could have kind of thrown Timothy off because it might seem like things are going wrong when those are happening and when people are seeing you as living a shameful life. But instead, Paul says, Timothy, this is our holy calling and God is carrying out his purpose in us. The purpose which he says he set forth before the ages began in verse 19. And it's a plan that will continue until that day, which is in reference to uh, the, the return of Christ, we see in verse 12. So these shameful things that are going on really are not hindrances to the faith or the movement of the gospel, the passing of the baton, but they're really just a part of the plan. And we see that God is actually guarding that faith, which Timothy is also to guard. Verse 14 of chapter 1 says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, that's God's power, guard the good deposit. That's our participation. And then he says, Be like Onesiphorus who wasn't ashamed, but actually sought out Paul in prison. And don't be like Phagellus and Hermogenes who were ashamed and ended up turning away from Paul. Then into chapter 2, Jeff started that by giving a great uh, summary of Paul's very personal understanding of the grace that he's encouraging Timothy with. Paul, you remember, was a violent persecutor of the church. And instead of receiving punishment from God, he received grace from God. And he was set forth on an exciting mission to proclaim the faith. And then he became the persecuted and uh, was himself strengthened by the grace of God. And he knew that Timothy would need to be comforted and strengthened with that same grace. Then we see in verse 2 of chapter 2, the, the emphasis again of passing the baton. We see it very clearly. Listen to this verse. Timothy, what you, what you have heard from me, entrust to faithful men and women who will be able to teach others also. So you see that passing on of the faith. It's like a four-by relay, right? Paul to Timothy to faithful people to others. And it seems like, from what he goes on to describe, that's not a background task in life, but that is the all-encompassing pursuit that Timothy should have. And it's going to be hard work. He says it's like a suffering soldier who's committed wholeheartedly to the one who enlisted him. He says it's like an athlete who competes carefully according to the rules to receive the crown. He said it's like a farmer in verse 6 who pours out his blood, sweat, and tears for the harvest. So the task of passing on the baton of faith means suffering and hard work. The next section, verses 8 through 13, um, we see a development in this idea of God's kind of background involvement in this work. And I had mentioned that God will bring about his intended results despite the supposed obstacles. God will bring about his intended results despite the obstacles. And he mentions first that in verse 8, Jesus who was raised from the obstacle of death, as promised, right? And who was also the Messiah, or, or David's offspring, he says in verse 8, who um, kind of overcame the obstacle of hundreds of years of, of waiting, but as promised, he arrived. So we're seeing God brings about 
what he says will happen, raised from the dead Jesus was, and he came as the Messiah. He mentions, secondly, that, that even Paul himself is, even though, I should say, even though he's bound in chains, God says, Paul says, the word of God is not bound. God is still moving it forward. He also mentions enduring kind of this obstacle of suffering for the sake of those who God has guaranteed to save. He calls them the elect, right? So as we're carrying out the hard work of passing on the baton of faith, we're doing a job that ultimately is guaranteed to succeed because God is behind it. So Timothy, while you keep the faith, God is keeping it for you. And he ends with some more promises in that section. If we've died with him, we will also live with him. God will do it. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he also will deny us. And then the last section, here's the real display of God's sovereignty in verse 13. If we are faithless, when we drop the baton, he remains faithful. So even in spite of us, God will move his mission forward. He is faithful. The movement of the faith, this continuation and spreading from one generation of another of the gospel, it will go on. The next section, starting verse 14 to the end of chapter 2, gets into a little bit more of like the nitty-gritty of what was happening in Ephesus. There were people we find spreading false doctrine. Namely, they were denying that there is a literal resurrection, being raised from the dead still yet to come. There was a lot of argumentative, worthless theological conversations that amount to, um, I think as Javon described it, as like splitting hairs or word battles. And they didn't bring health, but actually spread like gangrene, we read in verse 17. Um, these people, these teachers like Hymenaeus and Philetus, they were likely leaders in the church and they were coming against the faith that Timothy is being charged to guard and carefully handle. So in, in contrast to that, Paul tells Timothy, you need to be rightly handling the word of truth in verse 15 and, and show it in your conduct as a vessel for honorable use in verse 21. And so Timothy, as a pastor and leader of of the church is not to participate in those kind of quarrelsome conversations except to correct them by by patiently and gently correcting them and hoping to lead them into a knowledge of the truth. So the next sections starting in chapter 3 are kind of contrasting each other. First Paul explains in verses 1 through 9 the imposters as I called them who in the last days, which is the days before Christ's return, including now, those imposters will try to deceive the church to benefit themselves. These people, he describes them as kind of having this shell of godliness in verse 5. So it's kind of like they talk well, they argue theology really well, but they are wreaking havoc on gullible people in the church by actually opposing the truth. And Paul goes on to tell Timothy kind of the secret to picking them out of the crowd. And that secret is to look at the lives that they live. So they may be able to talk people into bad theology, but if you really watch their lives, then their works eventually will give them away because they don't actually have the power of God in their lives. So eventually 
they're going to be revealed as imposters. It's just like he says in verse 8, the Egyptian magicians, Janus and Jambres, who seemed for a while to be godlike as they were kind of replicating the, the, the God's miracles through Moses and the plagues. But eventually their power ran out, right? And their folly was exposed. And so what Paul says about these imposters is avoid these people. Well, in contrast, from verse 10 to the end of chapter 3, Paul presents the life of good teachers, including himself, and, and he tells how good teachers will be identified. How will you know them? Well, one, Paul's true teaching was accompanied by his conduct, his aim in life, his faith, his patience, his love. Javon pointed out that in order to see this in somebody, in a teacher, you have to really have a kind of close-quartered discipleship. That's needed so you can, you can really see the outcome of somebody's way of life and you can see if their conduct matches what they're saying. So his teaching was accompanied by his conduct. His true teaching was also accompanied by a steadfastness. In verse 11 says his persecutions and sufferings. So Javon pointed out that, hey, false teachers, they teach in a way that's going to benefit themselves. So they're not going to teach in a way that brings any amount of persecution to them. But people who are actually teaching truth and actually living a godly life, Paul says, will be persecuted, including you, Timothy. And then one more mark of good teaching is that, as we see at the end of chapter 3, it comes from Scripture, which is breathed out by God. Scripture affects our lives and our godliness by teaching and reproving and correcting and training us for righteousness. So God's word, it informs our orthodoxy and it guides our orthopraxy or the way that we live that out. So just like the false teaching will kind of be found out by the conduct of its teachers because they don't possess the power of God, biblical teaching will be proven in the equipping of its listeners and teachers for every good work because it has been breathed out by God powerfully into our lives. Chapter 4, we looked at verses 1 through 5 first. And in that section, kind of leading out of a really high view of Scripture breathed out by God, and with an understanding that those who teach it and who live it will be persecuted. And in the face of that opposition, Paul charges Timothy to proclaim the message, or to preach the word. And this is a section where it's kind of like Timothy's being sworn into office, kind of replacing Paul in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And it's not an opportune time that that's happening. People in the church will have ears that itch for doctrinal fads or itch for teaching that will suit their own passions. And I gave a quick warning in there. I'd like to remind you of don't just listen to Bible teachers who say everything that you want to hear. Because the word of God, it reproves or it refutes wrong thinking. It admonishes and corrects us. It exhorts us. So it doesn't just scratch itching ears or suit our passions. So be careful who you listen to, that it's not just what you want to hear. And Paul tells Timothy, even if, Timothy, many people don't want to hear you, and even though you're suffering because of your preaching, no matter what, stick to it. He says, fulfill your ministry. I'm charging you in the presence of God. Pass on that 
baton of faith, the good deposit. Guard those healthy words of God and pass it on. And then in verse 6 through 8, we find out that Paul's especially set on giving this mission to Timothy to, to pass on the baton because Paul knows he's about to die. He says, Timothy, you fulfill your ministry because now I've, I've fulfilled mine. I'm done. Timothy, when he would read this section, would have been heartbroken to hear, it's the first he would hear, that his father in the faith um, was expecting to die soon. But Paul, if you remember, wasn't looking at his impending death as a tragedy, right? He sees it as, number one, an offering to the Lord in verse 6. Like his life isn't being taken from him. It's, a, it's being poured out by him as a drink offering to God. He sees it also as a departure where he's being let loose from this life into eternal life. Paul fought the fight, we read in verse 7, or the struggle of the faith. He finished the race, he says. So he completed his course of the ministry of the gospel, his leg of the race, you could say. He kept the faith. There's our big phrase for today. He kept the faith. Keeping the faith, I, I had mentioned, it, it doesn't only mean he didn't abandon the faith or he didn't become an apostate, right? It, it, yes, he, he continued on in the faith, but also he kept it. He kept it intact. Or he, he guarded the good deposit. He made sure it remained healthy and pure, right? And also he kept it by, by passing it on. He kept it going. That's what to keep the faith is. Don't abandon it. Keep it and guard it and pass it along to the next generation. And Paul knew that the Lord, the righteous judge, saw all of his work. So his work wasn't futile, but at the end of of his life in the presence of God, he would be awarded the crown of righteousness. So Paul would bear the identifying mark of everyone who has fought the fight, a love for that day when Christ appears. Javon showed then in the last section how many people had deserted Paul. He says Demas, in love with the present world, deserted him in verse 10. Cratians and Titus have gone on to other places. Alexander had opposed strongly Paul's message in verse 14 and 15. And there's many we see in verse 16 who wouldn't stand with Paul in his proclamation of the faith of the gospel. There's only one who did stick by Paul's side through it all, as, as Paul sought to keep the faith. In verse 17, we see it's the Lord. The Lord who strengthened him. Who, he says, rescued me from the lion's mouth. Who would rescue Paul from every evil deed. And who would bring him safely into his heavenly kingdom. And it was through all of that opposition that the Lord did his work. The mission of God was continuing because of those difficult persecutions. Look at verse 17. It says, But the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So no matter the situation and through and because of every situation, to him be glory forever and ever. Amen. Um. We haven't yet covered the last few verses, so really briefly, let's read those. 2 Timothy 4, 19 through 22 says, Greet Prissa and Aquila and the household of Onesiphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill, at Miletus. 
Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Prissa or Priscilla and Aquila were house church leaders in Ephesus and later in Rome. And uh, Paul had lived with them in Ephesus where they all had a tent making um, business together for a time. Um, interesting, Priscilla is named first. And as a woman to be named first in a list like this is extremely, extremely unusual in ancient writings. And it was probably because she had a very significant role in their ministry. So I like to think of Priscilla and Aquila, like Mary Beth and Jared, Mary Beth having a significant leadership role in our house church ministry as well. Um, Onesiphorus was the person who had cared for Paul in prison. We talked about him in chapter one. Erastus was a really common name. It may have been the city treasurer in Corinth that we read about in Romans 16. It may have been another one of Paul's co-workers we read about in Acts 19. It may have been some other Erastus, we don't know. Trophimus, um, who was sick. Uh, he was the Greek person that they accused Paul of bringing into the temple in Jerusalem that led to Paul's arrest uh, in Acts 21. Well, um, it's interesting here that we see Trophimus was ill when Paul left him in Miletus. So Paul, he healed some people, but apparently he couldn't heal everyone on demand, but it was kind of an occasional gift that was given, just kind of an interesting thing there. These kind of final greetings just tell me that Paul and Timothy were real men in real places uh, and had real relationships. And the random people that send Timothy greetings, Eubulus, Pudens, Linus, Claudius, or Claudia, um, we didn't even know anything else about these people, but these relationships existed and this was an actual letter. How cool is that, that we have an actual ancient letter written from one person to another? And he says in verse 21, Timothy, do your best to come before winter. That's the same sentiment we saw in chapter 4, verse 9, and later in verse uh, 13 of chapter 4, when he's like, hey, bring my jacket, it's going to be cold. And um, I have to think that Paul was probably asking Timothy to come soon uh, for more than just like so that he could run errands for Paul, but certainly he was wanting to see his spiritual son, likely for the final time. And... From what we understand, Paul gave up his life later that year, that very winter uh, from when this letter was written. And historians believe that he was beheaded in Rome at the order of Nero. So did you see those two themes as we ran through that? In the foreground, we have Paul charging Timothy to keep the faith. That faith that was passed down to him, he's to pass on to other people. He's to follow the pattern of sound words that he heard from Paul. Paul said, what you heard from me, entrust to faithful men who will teach others also. So keep that faith. Guard the good deposit that's been entrusted to you. Keep it. Don't fall into the quarrels and the, the passions that are competing with the faith around you and people, but protect and preserve that faith, the healthy doctrine, carefully and patiently refuting and correcting what is false and rightly handling the word of truth. Keep the faith and make sure your life is consistent with the truth that you preach. Continue in what you have learned from childhood in the scriptures. Keep the faith. And in chapter four, preach the word at all times. Even when people aren't going to listen to you, don't change your message. Keep the faith. Commit 
all of who you are, Timothy, endure everything, endure every suffering for the sake of the gospel. I'm leaving now. My ministry is done. You continue it. Keep it. Timothy, it's worth your life. At all costs, keep the faith. That's in the foreground. And then in the background, Paul tells how God has kept, is keeping, and will keep the faith. We see this epic kind of movement that Paul describes throughout past, present, future. It's the spread of the faith of the gospel. It's being passed down from one generation to the next in the church through faithful people like Paul and Timothy and so many throughout our history. But it is a movement that is set up and empowered and preserved by God himself. A movement that started before the ages began and continues until that day of Christ's appearing. So Timothy, you have a job to do, but while you're doing it, know that God is doing it. That might be most clearly expressed in verse 12 and 14. I'll read those verses. I am not ashamed, Paul says, for I know whom I have believed and I am convinced that he is able to guard it until that day what has been entrusted to me. And then verse 14, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So you keep the faith, but know that God is keeping it through you. And I think that should just be a great encouragement to us as we go about our task of keeping the faith. We go about our leg of the race to pass on the baton to the next. We, um, like Timothy, have purpose. We have a holy calling that's set forth by God. And he empowers us according to his will to accomplish that. And any opposition to our ministry, we can be encouraged, won't stop the progression of the faith. But God will actually use persecution to to move the baton forward. People in the church might desert us, might argue with us, but God will use the truth and our conduct to, um, to prove the truth. We might be persecuted by people outside the church. Uh, some people will be imprisoned for keeping the faith. Some people will even be killed for keeping the faith, like Paul and maybe Timothy. And through these very things, this very opposition, the message of the faith is fully proclaimed and all of the nations hear it. So nothing stops God's plan. I love that. Not even us. Not even us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. The very last recorded words that we have from Paul is 2 Timothy 2, I'm sorry, 4, verse 22. And I think this is a good summary of Paul's encouragement to Timothy, his spiritual son. Timothy has a ministry to fulfill, and it would be a hard ministry with a lot of opposition. And to keep the faith would at times feel lonely. But here's the encouragement to Timothy. The Lord be with your spirit. That means at the core of who you are, the Lord is with you. It's not just you keeping the faith. The Lord is keeping it through you. And the very last sentence isn't only to Timothy. Uh, the you switches to plural. So I believe Paul is 
speaking to believers. He's speaking to the church. He's speaking to all of us. And this is the encouragement that we need to fulfill our ministries, which may come also with a lot of opposition. Paul had been strengthened by the grace of God. He exhorted Timothy to be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And his last prayer, get this, is that grace be with you all.